I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Hey everyone, welcome to, uh, we're going to call this a special edition of the Athletic Baseball Show. We have moved into a live room for this one. I'm Tim McMaster. Uh, Matt Gelb, our Phillies reporter here at The Athletic, is here. Sam Blum, who's covering the Astros throughout this postseason, also here. More importantly, uh, we're excited to have you here and uh, have you kind of guide this conversation as well. Uh, If you're listening to this after the fact, because we'll be posting the archive, uh, we are recording at 11 a.m.-ish Eastern time before Game 5 of the World Series. A new series after Wednesday night's Astros win. You're starting pitchers tonight in Philadelphia. Justin Verlander for the Astros. Noah Syndergaard will go for the Phillies, followed by probably kind of a bullpen game there for the Phillies. Uh, please get in line, um, get in the queue, and you can ask a question. Also throw some questions in the chat as well, and we'll grab some from there as well. As we wait for that stuff, um, Sam and Matt, let's start with looking back quickly at game four because obviously it's going to go down as kind of a classic. It's a it's a World Series no-hitter, um, although four pitchers takes a little of the shine off of that maybe, but you know, it's one of the oldest sayings in baseball, momentum only as good as the next day's starting pitcher. And we saw that from Christian Javier in game four. Uh, he combines with Brian Abreu, Rafael Montero, Ryan Presley. They throw the second no-hitter in World Series history. Of course, Don Larson's perfect game in 1956 was the first. Sam, I will start with you. What made Javier so untouchable last night? I mean, I, I just think it's, it's kind of funny because, uh, you know, the question after that rainout was, you know, well, I mean, are they going to even pitch him and maybe they'll go Verlander in game four. And, and really, I mean, he's been their best pitcher this postseason. He also, you know, was electric against the Yankees and and really was great throughout the end of the, you know, the regular season. And, you know, I think if he was on pretty much any other team, he he might be, uh, you know, an ace. He'd probably be the guy that's trying to squeeze in three appearances, this play, this post, uh, this world series, excuse me. And, you know, you asked what he did so well last night, and I think it's, you know, really it's it's his fastball and his slider, those two pitches, and and it, it, Rich Early did a good job writing about his fastball and kind of how it's an invisible, and in a lot of ways, in order to square it up, you really have to be guessing for it, and when you do that, it's, you know, you're a little more susceptible to that slider, which is, you know, you're not going to hit it if you're guessing fastball, and so I think that's partly why he was just so so good last night, and, and uh, you know, he's just he's a tough pitcher to hit against and and really i mean he's got a great story just as a as a guy that you know really wasn't even a pitcher growing up and signed for ten thousand dollars and and how here he is uh you know making these incredible world series starts and and i think he'll probably be available in uh, game seven should it get that far 
Yeah, George R. actually just threw that in the chat. He said, did the Astros start Javier for Game 7 on short rest? Um, We can get more into that as we move along. Matt, I did want to get to you, um, and this relates to another question that's already in the chat about tonight. This Phillies team has shown this resilience as far as the lineup throughout the season. Now they have to bounce back from just a complete shutdown in Game 4. How do you think they react tonight against Verlander? I mean, it's a, been a boom or bust offense all season. It just so happens that they've been mostly booming, especially at home here in this postseason. Uh, it's funny because they this is not the first time they've been no hit uh, in a combined fashion this season. It actually happened in late April uh, in New York, and that was something that Phillies manager Rob Thompson uh, wanted to use to remind his guys immediately. I mean, like moments after the game ended, the players are getting back in the clubhouse, and Rob Thompson, who is not – you know, one for, for speeches or team meetings, you know, he walked into the room, according to a couple of players who were there and said, Hey, look, like, you know, this has happened to us before. Remember what we did last time. And, you know, just let's bounce back, forget it, turn the page. And, you know, the Phillies won. Uh, they, they were no hit by the Mets in late April. They won the next night. Uh, Kyle Schwarber had a big home run in that game. And, you know, I mean, it just served as like, you know, it's certainly not the same situation. It's a very different situation, but it's, you know, their way of saying, look, we've been here, let's do it. Let's just remember what we did then. Uh, But the task is difficult. Uh, I mean, if you think about how uh, Verlander shut the Phillies down early in game one of this world series, he was using a lot of elevated four seam fastballs. And last night the Phillies saw a ton of four seam fastballs and they were not able to square them up. Uh, The hits they got against Verlander are against a lot of breaking balls. Um, so Verlander is able to locate and throw his four-seamer for strikes, especially elevated in the zone. Uh, it, it could be a long night for the Phillies. It's going to be a real challenge for them, I think. Uh, but if they can get him, uh, you know, to have to go to some of those breaking balls, if he hangs a few, uh, I think they have a shot just as good of a shot as they had in game one. And it did take a crazy comeback for that to happen. But uh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, Noah Syndergaard, bullpen game, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting. <laughs> Jump on stage with us, uh, raise your hand, and we will uh, call on you. You can actually ask your questions here for Sam and Matt. Um, Talked a little bit about Verlander there. Um, He started game one, great Sam, and then obviously it kind of went off the rails. This is a guy who is an all-time great, right? But when it comes to the World Series, he's 0-6 in eight career starts. The ERA is over six in those starts. It, It doesn't make sense when you think about how good he has been throughout his career and how he has struggled in these World Series games. Can he kind of flip that script tonight? I mean, I certainly think he can. And, and you know, obviously he pitched the first three innings. That first game of the World Series were great. And then the last two were, you know, he probably shouldn't have been out there for the fifth. And, and I think that's probably a criticism that Dusty Baker has gotten this World Series, and deservedly so for leaving his, uh, in their, you know, their two losses, leaving the starters in a little long. Um, with Verlander, I mean, you know, I, I, I think – the biggest question is, you know, you get to this point in the playoffs for a guy who's didn't pitch the last two seasons, whose innings are going to be really high, who's, you know, almost 40 years old. And and listen, I mean, for, even for a guy like Verlander, who's done everything in his career and Hall of Famer, uh, you know, just World Series champion, all those things. And he's he's, uh, you know, it's it's not easy when you get to this point, especially you're pitching the second time in a series, the fourth time in the postseason. You know, I think uh, any pitcher would be would be cautious, and the Astros are, uh, you know, kind of in a tough position, asking him to to kind of build up those innings, even in the biggest start, you know, 
one of the biggest starts of his of his entire career. All right. Uh, we got some questions coming into the chat. Again, you can also join us and actually ask your own questions, but we'll get through some of these ones in the chat. Uh, Sean H says, where does Dusty go tonight to get any production from the designated hitter left field spot? Probably shouldn't go to a Lidmus Diaz. I mean, I, I've seen enough <laughs> of enough. I mean, listen, I've, I was not around the Astros the whole year, but I've been around in the postseason enough to know that he's not hitting, uh, you know, uh, same with Trey Mancini, just not hitting, uh, the best at bats I've seen are from David Hensley. So, you know, he, he got a hit uh, a couple nights ago, had some decent at bats in the DS. And then really, since he came up in the big leagues, it's been pretty good. So, I mean, that you're asking my opinion. I think they should go to him. But, uh, you know, I don't know if that's going to get any production. There's, they certainly have to have had to work around that. Uh, you know, obviously, if Alvarez is not in left. But, uh, um, you know, if it's the DH spot, I mean, Diaz at this point is just not someone I don't think you can, you know, keep relying on. Now, watch, he's going to hit a game winning homer. But, that's just my opinion as of right now this morning. A <laughs> <laughs> um, couple for you, Matt, from the chat. One, how much can we expect or to see from Alvarado after last night? Uh, I mean, he's going to be used tonight. Uh, yeah. I think interesting after the game when Rob Thompson said, you know, was asked if the, if the extra rest, and it's funny to, to suggest that, you know, there, there was a pitcher who had too much rest uh, going into last night's game. And Alvarado has pitched so much in this postseason, and he's been so good for them. Uh, and Thompson said, yeah, the extra rest might have factored in. Like, he might have been a little rusty. And then I asked Alvarado after the game about that. And he, he you know, he kind of chewed that away. He didn't think that that was a factor. He just thought that, um, you know, he, he, he made a bad pitch to Alvarez, hit him right in the butt, uh, his first pitch he threw last night. And, you know, come, that's a tough situation. Where you're coming in bases loaded, nobody out. Uh, even a, for a pitcher as good as Alvarado, uh, you know, that's in your head. I mean, you got to be, you almost got to feel like you're going in there. You have to feel like you have to be perfect. Right. And that, that tends to make guys um, not perfect. So uh, I, I think you'll see him tonight. They made sure, I think he threw less than 20 pitches, maybe he's 19, 20 or so. Uh, he will be very available tonight. And I expect him to be facing Jordan Alvarez and Kyle Tucker at some point in the game tonight. It's funny, Thompson has hit all the right buttons with that bullpen in this postseason, but it was kind of an impossible situation last night. Like you said, Nola had been pitching so well, then the bases get loaded and he, he goes to the bullpen, and, and for once, it doesn't work out. Uh, speaking of the, the starters, though, this one from Dana P. Odd that the Phillies' postseason losses were starts by Wheeler and Nola. Is it fatigue from all the innings this season? I, I think with Wheeler, it might be more than fatigue. Uh, the, the, the club is saying it's fatigue right now. Uh, look, I mean, he's a guy who had some elbow soreness during the year. Uh, they shut him down for about a month. Uh, he came back throwing harder, and now he's not throwing as hard. I think there's a lot going on with him. I, I think he, you, what you're seeing is the effect of, you know, the 2020 season, you know, the shortened season. Then after that, in 2021, he threw a career high in innings. And now you get to the end of 2022, and it's a long season for him. I think the cumulative effect of all of that, you know, plus some of the elbow soreness that has really made him uh, not the pitcher he normally is. And that, that is okay. He did pitch, you know, at this velocity for a majority of the summer and found a way to make it work. Uh, now that wasn't the world series against the Astros. It's a bigger stage. It's a tougher challenge. Uh, I really don't know what they're going to get from him in game six. Um, it's a huge unknown right now, and it's going to be a really important game. So that's uh, that's not great going into it. As for Nola, he looks like a guy who just totally hit a wall. And, and both these guys were so, so good for the Phillies and so important to get them 
to the World Series. Think about what they did early in the postseason, uh, especially that Cardinals series and the Braves series, uh, to get them into this position. Uh, yeah, I mean, they both look, you know, Nolo made his 37th start of the year last night. Um, he's near 240 innings for the year total, all career highs. Uh, looks like a guy who's just kind of tired. I do think, though, that, like, you might see him in Game 7. There's Game 7 not as a starter. Maybe for two innings out of the bullpen, he'd be on three days rest. He only threw uh, 67 pitches last night. So maybe you see him for a spot in Game 7. But they look like guys who are pitching in November and have had a long year, and it happens, I think. Yeah, seeing – you know, seeing the game four starter, it used to be that you could have that ace that could pitch games one, four, and seven, right? But now it's become the norm, I feel like, to get that guy at least out of the bullpen in game seven. Uh, but you have to judge how much he has left. Plenty of adrenaline to draw upon coming out of a bullpen in a game seven, I think, if there's a tight game. But it'll be interesting to see um, how that kind of plays out. All right, here's the the next question coming from the chat. And we still open lines if you want to get in here and, and ask your own questions. Just uh, hit the button there at the bottom of your phone. We will uh, call on you. But the next question is, considering how evident Castellanos' struggles are, do you think Rob Thompson considers starting Matan in his place? I could say the same as Segura. I think we know the answer. We do know the answer, and the answer is no. And I think, <laughs> I, I, I and I understand. Like I get it. I mean, Segura especially. Like he, um, he, he cannot drive the ball right now. I've asked. Like I don't think it's related to the finger. I don't know what's going on. I mean, his power uh, is totally gone. And he's not a power hitter per se, but he was a guy who could give you some gap power. Uh, we had not seen any of that. Uh, Castellanos last night looked rather helpless. I mean, every Phillies hitter did, uh, you know. But they're they're not gonna they're not gonna make changes now. Um, they're really not. And, and and I get that. I get why Rob Thompson will stick with his guys. Uh, they are the guys that got him here. Uh, if he'd made a change now, it almost looked like panic. I, I suppose um, he will stick with his guys, and they will win or lose him the World Series. And I feel like that's appropriate. So I don't know. That's just the way it's gonna be. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, this next question, I'll let both of you answer it uh, because you'll both have very different answers, I'm sure. But we'll start with Sam. Um, Where does last night rank on your all-time list of games covered? If it's not number one, what is number one? Well, that's a well. I mean, I don't know. If I've covered other sports besides baseball, so I've had some other experiences uh, that maybe are better games or more interesting games. My favorite game I ever covered was uh, University of Virginia losing to UMBC as the first number one seed. Uh, but I mean, I don't know. Like, 
it was I mean it was a, a combined no hitter to me is is it's much different than a, than a uh, a real no hitter. I mean I covered uh, I covered the Angels during the season and I I honestly thought Reed Detmers throwing a no hitter against the Rays was you know to me even more exciting because it's it's one person and it's and it, and that's especially nowadays really a rare feat and a really crazy accomplishment especially for a rookie who'd been honestly quite bad in his major league career before he did it. So I mean last night was cool but um you know, I, I put game one of the World Series ahead of that, honestly. Do you think that, um, and I want to get your answer to that too, Matt, but but real quick, Javier was so dominant. Um, I was just disappointed when, you know, the seventh inning starts and he's not out there, even though I knew, you know, in the it's 2022 in the baseball landscape right now, there was no chance he was going to throw this whole game. But, like, do you think, he, you know, did he have the stuff last night that it could have been possible for him to throw a no hitter. Uh, he would have had he had three more innings and he was a ninety seven pitcher. Yeah, so it's the, too uh, yep. in general, yeah, the stuff was was I mean certainly no hit stuff. Uh, I also think that it's not even a question because he's got to be available for Game Seven and you have right. to be playing to to win a World Series. And you know, I see people get upset about taking him out, and I don't even I don't even think anybody, at least I wasn't even thinking about that possibility uh, about him staying out there past that sixth inning. Yeah. Um, you know, they the, the big question is, I mean, the, the way that Lance McCullers pitched in games in game three makes it so you're going to be really reluctant to have him be a part of that game seven at all. Um, and so the question is, do you start someone like Javier and, and, you know, rely on that really good bullpen? It's just depending on, you know, how taxed they are, how much they may have been used in a game six. Uh, do you, you have McCullers on a very short leash? I mean, there's going to be a lot of questions about how they're going to handle that game seven. And so getting Javier out as quickly as they did, very smart move last night. Like we're, we're all talking as if game seven is a absolute too, which it's 50, you know, 50, you, know? It's the, <laughs> right. you know, there's going to be a, there's going to be a game six. And if there's a game six, it's 50, 50, there'll be a game seven. Absolutely. All right, Matt, uh, back to that previous question, as far as uh, where does last night stack up in the games that you've covered? First, I want to say that the Phillies have played baseball for 140 years They've never played in a game seven. Uh, this this might be the first one. Wow! In in any at any series like LCSs and wow, that's crazy. They've never played a game seven ever. Uh, so, as far as the, the the question about you know where does this game rank them all times? I, honestly, second like in this series. I mean, Sam alluded to it. I thought the game one of this World Series was one of the best games I'll ever cover. I mean, just. Uh, the drama and the, and the tense moments from both sides in that game and the plays made on both sides. I thought last night was a tremendous pitching performance, an all-time pitching performance on a on a huge stage. I thought what the Astros did was amazing, but um, I, I covered Roy Halladay's no-hitter in the postseason uh, in 2010, and, and he did it all himself. It wasn't a combined effort, and that's not to take away from what the Astros did, but that game uh, to me was one of the most memorable. I also that year covered uh, Halladay's perfect game uh, earlier that year in 2010, uh, which was possibly the most memorable game I'll ever cover in my life. It's not been many, too many perfect games, and I've been lucky to see uh, to see one of them. So uh, there's now been two. There's been three postseason no hitters in Major League Baseball history. I've been there for two. Uh, last night was not as memorable as holidays, so I'll go with that. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Definitely. Um, all right, we've talked a little bit about Verlander as far as you know what we kind of expect from him and what he needs to do tonight. But Sam, what do you think the leash is like for Verlander tonight? I think going into that question is the fact that we we said Dusty has 
left the starters in too long a couple of times it's burned him so how short is that leash for Verlander I mean I just think with the way the Astros bullpen is constructed there's no reason to be going with a pitcher who's not producing so I mean I you know you you give Verlander a little leash just because he's Justin Verlander and just because you know yeah we saw it in game one of the uh the ALCS when he was actually you know not great this first two to three innings and then struck out like six straight guys and and kind of you know, really set the tone for the rest of the series. And so I think, yeah, you give him a chance to maybe allow a base runner here or two, but, you know, if a run comes in and another run comes in, I mean, you have to start thinking, you know, you can't get down three, two. I mean, it's just, this is such a critical game. And so the Astros have guys like, you know, Garcia and Urquidy and, you know, they hardly use Brian Stanek, even though he's pretty much struck out every single batter he's faced this postseason. I mean, there are guys that they can go to, where they can fill in nine innings, especially with an off day tomorrow. Um, so you don't need Verlander to to have a memorable World Series start. You don't need that narrative of him getting his first season win, first uh, World Series win. You just need to win the game. And so if, if there's any chance that you know he's going to spiral like he did the other night, I mean, preemptively get him out of there. That's my opinion. Yeah, I, I, you would have to think that. That's the conversation that's happening today for the Houston Astros. I'm switching to the other side. Um, This is pretty, you can go any direction with this map, but Parth says, what do we think about Syndergaard tonight? (laughs) You know, he's, he's, he's kind of experienced facing the Astros this year. And Sam, you, you probably saw starts. He pitched, I think twice uh, against the Astros while with uh, the angels, uh, they did not square him up well. And look, this is Noah Syndergaard is not the Noah Syndergaard that some of you might remember. I mean, this is not the guy who started game three of the 2015 World Series and buzzed Alcides Escobar's tower, like the first pitch of the game, trying to get him off the plate with 98 miles an hour. I mean, he's barely going to touch 94 tonight. Uh, throws a little, few more sliders, a um, few curveballs. Like, um, he's more of a pitch-to-contact guy, and that's a that's an interesting profile against an Astros team that makes a lot of contact. But uh, they did not square him up earlier this year. And obviously, very different circumstances is the World Series. Uh, Syndergaard has not pitched a lot this postseason. Uh, when they've asked him to pitch, he's been okay, actually. And I think this is a guy who the moment is definitely not going to be too big for him. You know, say what you will say about Syndergaard. Definitely not the same guy. You know, some weird trends uh, that are not good in terms of his strikeout rate and his velocity, et cetera. Uh, but I think you know the guy will rise to the moment and won't be scared of the moment. Uh, I think at best they're looking for four innings from him, you know, maybe three plus. I, I think, you know, if if the order if the lineup comes back around and Alvarez and Tucker are looming and there's uh, runners on base or if it's a tight game, et cetera, like I think they'll look um, for Connor Brogdon there, uh, whose changeup has played really well against lefties. Maybe it's Alvarado again that early. I don't think so, but. Um, you know, they'll be aggressive just because they had to use some of the relievers last night. Um, those guys are all available today. They did not have to use Sir Anthony Dominguez. I would imagine they will try to get six outs from Dominguez tonight. He's been their best reliever all postseason. Uh, you know, Syndergaard, I, I, it's, I don't know what to expect. I really don't. Uh, I, I can't wait to see it. I think this guy is pitching for a lot, too. You know, he's going into the season. He's 30 years old. There's questions about, you know, what is this guy going to be moving forward? He hasn't really fully, you know, returned to his prior self after this Tommy John surgery and the prolonged rehab. Uh, he's pitching for a lot tonight, and that's a, that motivation can uh, fuel a guy. 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, looking back on last night again, um, but not the pitcher, the catcher. This is a good one from Kate. Um, I th- get both of your opinions on this. I'll start with you, Sam, since you're covering that team. But with all the analytics these days, how much difference does a catcher make in a no-hitter? Does last night's performance increase Christian Vasquez's value in the upcoming free agency season? Seems like he disappeared after the trade to the Astros. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's been a tough role for him in the sense that, you know, a lot of the top pitchers on the Astros really do value having Martin Maldonado, even though his offense is what it is. And, you know, I, I just think that it's it is tough for, for someone like myself to really explain because it's, I think, more of an intangible thing and, and a feel thing. And, um, you know, Vasquez has been – I mean, he's a, he's a really good player. I mean, he hits for average. He's great defensively. I mean, there were two stolen bases against him last night, but, uh, you know, I think Javier is a little more susceptible to that, and, and Vasquez made it quite close. You know, I, it, it's he's he's a great player. I mean, I think that his value is, is pretty uh, pretty up there. I mean, it, he'd be a starting catcher or, you know, I know he, you know, DH for space, things like that. He, he's got a lot of value to teams. Um and, uh, yeah, I just think he's kind of in a tough spot with Maldonado being the team leader, the guy, you know, Verlander's guy, obviously, tonight. And, and you know, he's just not going to get those those big moments. But, obviously, he shows up and, and he does that. And, and, you know, people forget, I mean, that 18-inning game, uh, he came in, I think, like in the eighth or ninth inning uh, as a pinch hitter because, they you know, he's a better hitter than Maldonado. And then he caught, like, the last 10 innings and, obviously, didn't allow a run. I mean, he's – Every time, and he he caught uh, Javier last time, which I think also maybe was a shutout or close to it. So it's you know when he's been in the game, I don't think the other teams really scored. And uh, you know if he's calling pitches, that's a uh, that's a big testament to him. And and you know like we were just talking about with Syndergaard, I mean, you show up in these moments, that's that's a lot of value going through a free agency situation. So for Vasquez, he's you know he he's only helped himself this postseason, even though he's kind of limited in the opportunities. Yeah, and the, I mean, there's a track record for Vasquez as well because of what he did when he was with the Red Sox, right? You think of the, the 2018 team, and he was a big part of that team and had big moments in the postseason and had the, the big moments along the way. So, And he was a very well-respected guy in that clubhouse and a leader guy. And um, <laughs> from all reports, the Red Sox clubhouse wasn't thrilled when he got sent away at the deadline. Um, Matt, you covered Chooch and Philly with with the perfect game and the no-hitter. Um, how much does a catcher matter in these games? I mean, that was so long ago that stuff, like, so much has changed now, but I think I look at it now. Like, um, you know, there's so much game planning that goes into this, and, and catcher is the hardest position on the field to play. I mean, I don't think there's any question about it. And even when these guys get you know, a ton of information for the game and a lot of scripted ideas before the game. Uh, you have to, to remember all that and remember the plan. But I think what makes the best catchers great is that they're able to adapt and read swings. And, you know, no doubt there was some of that happening last night. You know, Javier uh, really did not throw a third pitch. Like he was just totally fastball slider and that maybe that simplified things for Vasquez, but, you know, he knew when to throw those pitches and where to throw them and, and, you know, a hitter's weak zone. And, like, a lot of that is scripted. It sure is. But, like, in the moment, the catcher has to be the one to uh, read the swing and know where to go. And the fact that he had to handle, you know, different pitchers and keep that no-hitter uh, going last night, I think that makes the challenge even greater and probably um, a little more on the catcher. Like, you appreciate what he did. Um, I've, I've covered combined no-hitters before the Phillies threw one uh, years ago on Labor Day in Atlanta. And Ruiz was the catcher in that game. And I remember him talking about the challenge of, 
you know, having different guys come in and, you know, no, you know, changing the plan based on the pitcher that comes in, I think that does add layers to the challenge and made what Vasquez did last night, you know, all the more impressive. Sam, this one from Seth, he says, how much credit should we be giving Dusty for the bullpen usage last night after everybody lambasting him for his choices the night before? I mean, I just think he did the obvious last night. I mean, you know, it, it's not like that. That was a pretty. I mean, when your pitcher does what he does, it, it doesn't make it the challenge. I mean, the score being what it was, there wasn't a lot of uh, hard decisions that needed to be made. I think you know, it, it, going to those relievers, I guess. I mean, but if you're, when you're in the World Series and you're in a basic must-win game, I mean, you're going to go to your closer in a five in a five-run game. So, uh, I, to me, I don't think he had a, a lot of tough choices. So, I, I mean, the the real question is how do you handle it when you get into a situation like you did in Game Three or Game One and and, you know, when he was in that position, I don't think he made the right decisions. And so, you know, the question is, if he gets there again, what does he do? Does he does he treat it like it's a, a May, June, July game or does he treat it like it's World Series game five? So uh, that, to me, that's the big question. I'm not, you know, I think he did the, the right thing last night, but I don't know if it was necessarily, you know, the kind of thing where you, you pat him on the back too much. Uh, next question comes from Sam J. Any reason you wouldn't start Hensley at DH for the rest of the series? Uh, not, no. I mean, like I said earlier, I would have started him. Uh, I didn't really know why he wasn't starting last night. Um, you know, just, and it's not because Hensley is this amazing, great player. It's, it's, it's just that he seems like the best option right now. Um, they don't necessarily, I mean, I've seen some people also suggest maybe putting Dubon in that position. I mean, he's, you know maybe someone who, who could come in and hit a little bit. I mean, they just need somebody. Yeah, he, he brings some speed to, uh, you know, they need somebody that's uh, just going to put them in a position to have a good at bat and maybe get on base. Cause right now, um, Mancini and Diaz just are automatic outs. I mean, I think they're like a combined one for 40 in the playoffs. So at, at this point, you got to keep, you got to keep trying something else, whether it's Hensley or Dubon in my opinion. Um, Dubon also has the added value. You could start him in the outfield and you know, have some defense there too. So there's there are different options, and I think uh, they should consider Hensley. Uh, probably is the best one. In relation to the Phillies' approach to facing Verlander, how do you suppose Kevin Long and Rob Thompson approach the matchup, Matt? Well, I mean, I think you want to get you want to get his breaking balls, you know, in the zone. Um, and that just means, you know, being patient i think and and i don't know that you'll see like a ton of early swings uh because like he's probably going to be you know establishing fastball earlier in the count and if he's getting that if he's getting the fastball up you know in the zone then it's going to be trouble if he's not able to get the fastball up in the zone and maybe leaving it you know uh you know belt high maybe or even lower um that's going to be good for the phillies I and mean, i think that's what you're you're looking for certain zones and that's how the phillies typically game plan is you're looking for zones, um, not necessarily specific pitches. You're trying to identify a zone where it is your zone and you're going to swing. Um, if he's up in the zone with the fastball, like I know it sounds odd because you know typically guys can hit pitches up in the zone. Um, his fastball is tough to square up up in the zone. And we saw that in the first few innings of game one of the World Series. Um, he started to leave a few, you know, belt high, and then he started to leave a few breaking balls up, you know, in the zone kind of hangers and the Phillies took advantage of that. Nick Castellanos had a big swing on a breaking ball that was actually out of the strike zone, but down, you know, almost in the dirt. Um, so, you know, you're trying to get him, you know, down a little bit. You're trying to get him, uh, you know, Phillies have crushed sinkers all year. And I think that's just because that they, they, they are able to hit pitches that are lower in the strike zone. Um, 
you know, Verlander doesn't really throw a sinker, but if you can get the fastball lower uh, and he's not able to locate it, you know, the danger of the high fastball, right? It's so perfect when you can elevate it and get it near the top of the zone and guys can't catch up to it or you get that high strike called. But the danger is if you're missing, uh, you're missing, you know, you know, belt high. And that's a nitro zone for most guys. So the Phillies have to hope that, um, you know, he's off with his command. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's take a couple more. Jeremy P. is waiting to talk to us. Jeremy, you there? Hey, guys, can you hear me? Yep, sound good. Hey, um, just wanted to see, uh, now that it's a best of three, basically, and momentum seems to have been non-existent uh, with how this series has swung back and forth, um, if you guys, would you guys rather be the Astros or the Phillies at this point? And if you if you already talked about that, forgive me, I just jumped on, but wanted to wanted to check that out. Go ahead, Matt. I'd rather be I'd rather be the Astros right now. I mean, I think because here the simple fact to me is that of all the potential starting pitchers that remain in this series, uh, the Astros are the best one, and that's Framber Valdez in Game Six. You know, I mean, he was tremendous uh, in Game Two, and 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 you look at the season numbers. I mean, this is a guy who uh, you know was just terrific all year long, and and to have him in your back pocket for Game Six on regular, uh, that, that's a great advantage to have, and if you can steal. Uh, you know, game five in Philadelphia, if you're the Astros, you, you have to feel pretty great about winning the World Series. And even if the Astros drop game five tonight here in Philly, uh, you know, they go home for two. Uh, they have home field advantage in this best of three now. And then they have Valdez in game six. And in game seven, you know, this is a toss-up. I mean, both teams will just kind of empty uh, the bullpen and empty the pitching staff and just see what happens. So uh, I think I'd rather be the Astros right now. Uh I think game four ended up being a massive swing game. I mean, the Phillies had, this is going to be the longest series the Phillies have played in this postseason. You know, they had ended the previous ones in uh, four and five games. And, you know, they had avoided having to go back uh, to the higher seed in both previous series. Uh, they will not avoid that this time. And, and uh, it's going to be a real challenge for them. I will. Um, I would agree on all of the basic principles of what you just said. I mean, I think the Astros, obviously, I mean, they also have two home games. You know, if they need it. Uh, and yeah, but I also just say the Phillies have kind of had some vibes this past uh, few weeks that, as you know, Matt, I mean, I don't I don't know how you can kind of uh, quantify that, but it's uh, it's it's hard to pick against the Phillies right now. I mean, I know that they've they, that that game last night was a big swing game. The pitching matchups probably don't favor them as much, but but they've uh, they've kind of been down and out a lot this year. And, and here they are. So, you know what? It's a it's a toss up. I'd rather be the Astros all on paper, and I think that's kind of what the question's about. So so yeah, but you know I, I like what the Phillies have kind of the Phillies magic this postseason's been fun, and I'm not going to bet against it. Speaking of fun, uh, George R couldn't join us on stage, but he got his question in. Kind of a question, but 
Love your guys' thoughts on it. Given the Phillies wearing their throwbacks tonight, and everybody get excited for that, the baby blues in Philadelphia, the Astros should express mail their 80s jerseys. I assume he means the ones with the blast of color across the midsection. Um, And then we can all all relive the 1980 NLCS. And why aren't throwbacks used in the World Series more often? That would be really fun. Do you guys have any thoughts on why we don't get more alternative jerseys when we get to this time of year? Let's do it. I'm all for it. I mean, I don't, you know, they should do that stuff. And I like that the Astros kind of use all. And I think that, you know, in game six, the Astros will use their alternates because that's what Fran Bravalda is like. So, you know, it's nice that they kind of, uh, that, that the pitchers can kind of still make that decision. But I agree that they should totally, that they, especially if it's, uh, you know, there's a past matchup that's kind of replicating, it could be fun. I, I like it. The Phillies are only going to wear the, the powder blue tonight because it's it's Thursday. Uh, this game right. was not originally supposed to be played today, and the Phillies wore their powder blues for every home Thursday game during the season. That's the only time they wear them. And I know traditionalists get upset about that because the powder blue was a road jersey uh, back when the Phillies used to wear it, and now they only wear it at home, uh, which is weird, but I think people have gotten over it because they love the powder blue jerseys, and I know people in Philadelphia are fired up about the fact that they're going to wear the powder blues tonight, but I don't know. There's like weird, weird rules governing like how many jerseys you can have and how often you can wear an alternate. Um, but I, I think uh, I, I think more teams have introduced the retro stuff, and, and maybe it's too gimmicky in the World Series because it's like the highest stage, and you don't want to wear, you know, you want to wear your traditional uniforms. I don't know. I don't know. But I think it's cool that the Phillies will wear their powder blues tonight. And uh, yeah, I don't know. That 1980 NLCS is probably the greatest postseason series ever. And I know that might sound like hyperbole, but if you are unfamiliar with it, go back and look up the box scores and read stories about that series. It was insane. And I wasn't alive. I've just watched games and I've, I've read about it and it seems like it was the craziest postseason series ever. All right. Before we say goodbye, Matt, we got one question. Eagles Texans prediction. I think the Texans cover the spread. How about that? I think it's like a two touchdown spread. Go. I think the Eagles uh, will win. Like, I think they'll cruise. But, you know, their team then in the second half, they've gotten big leads and they've just kind of gone into uh, shutdown mode just to protect their guys and get to the end. You can see the Texans getting a late score or the backdoor cover. But I don't know. I mean, it's gonna it's a weird night in Philadelphia because people really, really love the Eagles. Um, I'm sure they want to watch the Eagles. But it is – they are two touchdown favorites. I think more people will be focusing on the Phillies tonight. Um, what a weird thing, though, that both – Philadelphia and Houston uh, baseball football teams are playing on the same night, November 3rd. Uh, what a time to be alive. It, it happens more than it should. I can't remember what series I was covering. It was in St. Louis, I think, when the Rams were still there. And the Rams were playing Monday night football against the same team that the Cardinals were playing against in, I think, the NLCS. It's just this wild, crazy stuff that happens. But so I think it um, happened in the 2009 World Series. I believe there was like a doubleheader one day where like the, Phil- the Eagles were playing the Giants in the afternoon and the Phillies played the Yankees at night, I think. Somebody will have to yeah. check me on that, but I'm pretty sure I remember that. That sounds familiar, too. Um, all right, Matt, thank you so much. Sam, thanks for taking some time. I know you guys are super busy and it's the end of a long season and you're tired as well, but jumping on here and taking questions is much appreciated. Um, this has been a fun little experiment um, for the Athletic Baseball Show to do one of these kind of pregame. Uh, we'll get it up on the feed as well. If you missed the whole show and joined us late, you can check it out uh, fairly soon. We'll get it up on the podcast feed. Uh, Sam and Matt, thanks a lot. Thank you for all listening and enjoy game five tonight. Take care, everyone. Thank you. Adios.